pretty cool. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going through a series on the Beatitudes. We call it Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. And uh, we're just making fun of corporate America a little bit, just for fun. And uh, because it's written in uh, our Declaration of Independence, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And the Bible tells us specifically how to be happy in the Beatitudes. It says, Blessed, which uh, literally means happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, happy are those who mourn, uh, happy are the meek. And we've been talking about how this is completely opposite of, of what we think. And we've been talking about two kingdoms, the kingdom on earth, which is down here, and the kingdom of heaven. We've been talking about how those two worlds are actually in conflict with each other. They're not just uh, bordering nations, they're actually at war. And so we will constantly in our lives as we pursue uh, holiness uh, before God, as we pursue a life that's rich in relationship with him, there'll be this, we'll be on the front lines of that battle. And so uh, if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, I want to review a little bit of what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about mercy. We said there were two worlds. Again, the kingdom of the world, that's entitlement. Entitlement, we get what we should get what we deserve. Well, no, we don't say it that way quite, right? We say, I deserve, and then we define it. <laughs> we don't say, give me what I deserve. We say, I deserve X, now give it to me. Because if, if you walked into your office and said, hey, give me what I deserve, out you'd go, right? No, I'm kidding. You wouldn't go, all right? So we're, and then the kingdom of heaven, that's mercy. And we talked about four things last week about merciful people. And the first thing we talked about is how we made this transition in the Beatitudes. The first four were these conditions of the heart, and then the next four were kind of how they relate to our actions. And so we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. Merciful people are connected with their own poverty. When when you're connected with that you have nothing to offer God, that you are totally void of worth other than the worth he gives you then when you're offended or when something happens merciful people are you know what i am just happy i'm right before god and so there's a sense of being connected to your own poverty that makes you more merciful and we even went so far as to say if you're not merciful there's a pretty good chance you're not connected to your own uh, poverty and spirit and maybe a way to become more merciful is to get reconnected to that the second thing we talked about is merciful people, by default, get wounded. And this is, um, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm going to move this real quick because I keep stepping on it, and I think I'm going to break something. Okay, there we go. Um, ah, much better. Uh, merciful people, by default, get wounded. And this is a great freedom for us because a lot of everything we see on television is, is to stop from being wounded, to make our life away, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Wherever happiness is going, we want to be right behind it so that we don't get off track and get wounded. Well, here's the great thing. Blessed are the merciful. Merciful people, by their definition, are wounded people. You can't show mercy to somebody who hasn't wounded you. And so there's a great freedom in that, so that when we get wounded by our spouse or our kids or our boss or somebody at school or, or uh, the captain of the football team or whatever, we go, oh yeah, God talked about that. And now I have a chance to grow closer to him. So we should expect to be wounded. We don't, we don't look for it, okay? But we can expect it when it happens. 
<clears throat> Jesus was uh, the most perfect uh, person on the earth, and he was definitely wounded. Merciful people are distributors, not manufacturers. This is another great joy that we don't have to manufacture mercy. Mercy isn't just gritting our teeth and going, all right, I'll forgive him, you know. It's getting connected with God and going, oh, it, it flows through. See, we talked about merciful people. Blessed are those who are merciful because they will receive mercy. They'll receive it. When we say, Lord, I, I want to let go of this, it comes. Not only do we receive mercy for our sin, we receive mercy to distribute Again, we're not manufacturers. We don't have to come up with some newfangled way, the 10 ways to manufacture mercy. We're warehouses. And remember what we talked about last week? A full warehouse is a happy warehouse. And so um, that, <laughs> it was bad when I said it the first time, okay? So <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry about it. But we're distributors. We want to be full of mercy so that we have a, a reservoir of mercy to distribute. And then lastly, we talked about merciful people can have mercy to handle anything. Two beatitudes later from mercy is blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Well, if we're blessed when we're persecuted, we need some way to deal with that. Well, God gives us mercy to be able to deal with anything, not only what we're dealing with at work or at school, but also when we enter into persecution, which I guarantee is a lot harder probably than what we're dealing with right now. So uh, that's what we talked about last week. Now this week, we're going into Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 8, and we're talking about blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That is, <laughs> that's a pretty amazing statement. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Man, that can't possibly mean see God. I can't mean God's going to all of a sudden show up like he did to Paul on the road to Damascus and we all walk out blinded trying to get into our cars, right? What does that mean? Thank you, youth. I appreciate that. What does that mean? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, what I want us to to understand, again, we keep talking about these two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world looks on the outside. It's on the outside. What kind of car do you drive? Are you basically a happy person? Are you this? Are you that? How's your family look? You know, all these different things that we look and we go, oh yeah, that guy's got it all together. That is totally the opposite of how the kingdom of heaven works. The kingdom of heaven says, let's see your heart. Let me take a look at your heart. Now that is a little different. That's scary. (laughs) Because God's the only one who can actually see our heart. We can, but even we fool ourselves. So the kingdom of the world looks on the outside. The kingdom of heaven looks on the inside. Let me give you a couple quick verses that uh, talk about this. The first is Deuteronomy 4.29. It says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Remember we talked about when we were doing our series on worship? Loving the Lord God with all our heart, that's the core of who we are. Blessed are the pure in the core of who you are. For they will see God. Yikes! The core of who I am? Oh, man. 
goes on in Second Chronicles uh, 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord, Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those. What happened? Oh, my little heart guy. Yeah. I always forget how that's going to play out while I'm preaching. Yeah. Mental note. Heart comes when I'm done talking. Okay. All right. So uh, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, what does that mean? Is God just shun it? If you're not, if you're not completely committed, ah, forget it. I'm going to look around. I'm going to find someone who's completely. No, but the more committed we are, the more we want to connect with God, the more he says, yes, let's open those floodgates of my presence. And the more we do that, the more we see God. The more actually within our heart, and we're going to be talking about this all morning, how our heart is, it's going to make a big difference. The eyes of the Lord, think about that. He's looking around, ranging back and forth. He's looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So what I wanted to do is uh, talk about the heart a little bit. And uh, I, I would venture that Everyone, I don't know if you ever, they used to do those full body scans. They were real popular like a few years ago. I don't know if somebody got killed in one and they shut it down or whatever. But, and that you could find like, I didn't know I had a tumor on the back of my thigh, but I did this scan and they found it. And, and I don't know why, do they do those anymore? Yeah, they do. They're just not on the radio anymore, I guess. So basically what we're talking about this morning is giving yourself a full body scan. Looking on the inside. And I can't tell. I can look and say, yeah, I think he's got it pretty much together. I think she's got it pretty much together. But only the Holy Spirit and us will know whether or not we have it together. David was called a man after God's own heart. What that means is he looked at his own heart and he looked at God's heart and he said, I want your heart in me. I want you to replace uh, my heart with your heart. I want your heart I want a heart that beats for you. At at Living Spring here, we say we want a heart for the lost. We we want a heart that that knows somebody doesn't know Christ and is living uh, a a life without him. And we say, oh man, that's having God's heart. I want to read just a few verses. They're not up here, but uh, it's David talking. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God. This is in Psalm 57, 7. And all these verses I'm reading are in your notes in a little line there. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Psalm 9-1. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonders. Psalm 19-14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 28-7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. I am helped. My heart leaps for joy. I will give thanks to him in song. Now listen to Psalm 27, 8. It's awesome. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Your heart says, seek his face. Yeah, I'm going to do that. We're going to talk about that this morning. So my mother-in-law years ago had a heart attack. Nobody saw it coming. Uh, All of a sudden, we just got the phone call. Your mom had a heart attack. Praise God, they got her to the hospital and they did all the stuff they were going to do. But there was something wrong with her heart that no, nobody saw. Now, maybe she had little signs of it and ignored it. You hear that mostly with men. 
It's like, yeah, I had tingling down the you know, left arm, I, shortness of breath. I was barely able, but I didn't need a doctor, right? You know, it's like, so sometimes there are signs. Other times, it's just, bam, clogged artery. I'm not trying to scare anybody. You guys are looking at me like, oh, there is tingling in my arm. People are running out the back. Okay, I'm not trying to scare you guys, all right? Take a deep, okay, we're going to be all right. The point is, we don't know. We don't know. An Olympic athlete training for the marathon for this Olympics, young guy, done. He didn't know. So what I wanted to do this morning is see if we can, with our spiritual hearts, try and get some signs going, try and get some things uh, that we can talk about that can help us to know the health of our heart. God knows truly the health of our heart, but we're the next in line to know what we have. So what I did was I did some research on how to have a healthy heart, uh, um, uh, and this is what I came up with. Now, I want you to see something here. This is awesome, okay? <clears throat> this, was, uh, this is my in-depth research. And just in case you're really impressed, I don't have a clue what any of this stuff means. But this is awesome. Up at the top left-hand corner, if you can see it, it says science simplified. Wow. Nutrients, overweight, heart disease, and health span. And that's simplified for you there. That wasn't simple enough for me. That was kind of scary for me. So I went to the Mayo Clinic's website to figure out how, if I, if I need a pure heart, how can I get a pure heart before God? And there's some pretty awesome stuff from the Mayo Clinic. They kind of rephrase things a little bit. Like they're not using that much scripture. But um, uh, <clears throat> I thought I could. So the first thing is, go to that one. Yeah, don't smoke or use tobacco products. Okay. Isn't that awesome? And you guys are going, that's a spiritual thing? No. Don't smoke or use tobacco products. If you want a healthy heart, that's the first thing. And you're going, man, Pastor John's really coming down. I knew I should have stopped smoking. Uh, This is terrible. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about doing things that directly damage the heart. That's what the Mayo Clinic's talking about. Smoking has all sorts of effects on your heart. Again, if you smoke, God bless you. I hope you get over it. But We're not talking about that this morning. We're talking about things that directly damage your heart, that will disease your heart. And there are some things in the scriptures that talk about heart disease that damage your heart, that we need to just stay away from. And there are little signs for our heart that tell us if we're on the right track or not. The Bible calls heart disease hardening your heart. So you can imagine, if you think of your heart, it's a muscle It's really amazing. The heart is unbelievably amazing. I won't get into it now because I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But uh, it's a muscle and it sends all your blood throughout your body. That's all I know. But it's soft. And yet it gets hard at the same time. It's pumping. The worst thing for you to happen is for your heart to just get hard and then you're done. The Bible talks about that hardening of heart. Um, We talked about that one king that was that was doing great before the Lord. And then all of a sudden he started to get some power and he wanted to burn incense uh, when he wasn't supposed to. He wasn't a priest. It says when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord. So I want to just go through four or five things real quickly, some heart disease that we have for the, uh, for the believer. The first is an unbelieving heart. 
They all start with un. You guys saw that on your notes there. An unbelieving heart. Sometimes we get to a point where we've kind of been in the faith for a long time, and, and we begin to lose that, oh, you're kidding. God did that. We, we begin to lose. We begin to kind of get used to seeing God do stuff. This is why I get so excited as uh, we see people come to Christ here uh, at church and we just begin to watch this life transformation. It's so awesome to see. Why? Because it gets us right on the front line going, yes, that's right. God does heal people. God does do these things. One of the ways uh, Jesus was upset at the disciples is after he was raised from the dead in Mark sixteen fourteen. It says, afterwards, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he approached them for their, uh, he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. He went up to him and said, guys, what are you doing? They were just reclining at the table. Oh, well, Jesus is dead. He's like, man, you guys are unbelieving. And then remember he says to Thomas, listen, you see and believe. There's going to be a whole bunch you don't see and believe. And they're blessed. Those people are blessed. We have to still be a believing people, praying in faith that God still works. He still does miracles. He can still heal that marriage. He can still bring those kids back. And, and see what happens sometimes is our heart gets hard and we go, it's, it's not going to work. It's no use. I've tried everything. He can still reach that spouse that doesn't know Christ. We have to be a believing people. It's, we're, it's heart disease. It's dangerous when we get to a point in our life when we go, it's hopeless. It is not hopeless in God. The second thing is being unteachable. Unteachable. And this happens all over the place. It happens to a, a, a strong believer where they've kind of felt like they've heard everything already. And it's just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know where he's going with this. I've heard that, that story. Right, the kid gets stuck in the ditch and then, you know, whatever. You ever have those pastor stories? You, you're going to hear them. I've only been here for uh, less than a couple of years, but soon I'm going to be telling you all these stories, the same ones over and over. And you're gonna be like, yes, I know. Audrey broke her leg. Right, we got it. Right? Unteachable. So here's what happens. The disciples get in the boat. They were supposed to get food. They were supposed to get some bread. I don't know how many of you fasted yesterday. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand because then you'll lose your crown in heaven. But uh, uh, so we, we can't know about it. So don't be like, yeah, I fast. Oh, no, it's gone. No, I'm, I'm kidding. It doesn't work that way. I just thought it would be fun to say that. Uh, but for those of you who fasted, uh, you, you know, different times in the day, it's like, oh, man, I'm so hungry right now. Well, what happened was the disciples forgot to bring bread for Jesus. But there was one loaf there. And so Jesus, again, who says, my food is to do the will of my father. He looks at the bread and he's like, hey, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. And so they start looking at each other going, oh, man, I know what he's doing. He's bringing up the fact we didn't bring bread. Ugh. Stupid. What are we doing? He says, aware of their discussion. Jesus is so cool, man. Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see or ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? He's saying, guys, we just fed 5,000 people. 
And then we fed 4,000 people. And he, he goes to them and he says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I picked up seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. Right, they know where it's going. He said to them, do you still not understand? Are you that unteachable? Church, we need to be a church that is whatever it is. Someone comes up here and recites John 3.16 for an hour and a half. We need to be a church who's going, okay, Lord, it's probably patience he's trying to teach us, but he, what, what is it out of this? What, I want to be teachable. I want to be that pot on the potter's wheel that, oh, okay, you're going to start pushing me this way now. We need a teachable spirit. Unteachable people begin to have a hardened heart. They think they know it all. I was totally there in my life. And uh, I'm, praise God, he delivered me. Uh, uh, that's why Solomon said, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge. Solomon wanted to be able to hear what God said so that he could, run, uh, uh, he could lead his people. The third is an unforgiving heart. An unforgiving heart. And I won't go too much into this because we just got done talking about blessed are the merciful. But an unforgiving heart is a hardened heart. And see, if we think about these things, all these things are blockages to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you're unteachable, you won't see God. If I'm unbelieving, I won't see God. If I'm unforgiving, I won't see God. Why? Because God wants to smack me around? No, because he wants me to see that I need something else. An unforgiving, uh, an unforgiving heart, when that turns to bitterness and it takes root, it is very, very, very difficult to get rid of. An, unbelieving, an unforgiving heart. An unrepentant heart. An unrepentant heart. That's very dangerous as well. Another form of heart disease. That's a, a heart that, again, is not... We talked about blessed are the poor in spirit and then blessed are the merciful. When you're merciful, you're connected with your poverty. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those are the ones who mourn. They understand their sin and they say, Oh man, Lord, I, I blew it again. I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't want to do this. God begins to come in. That's a, that's a, a repentant heart. Um, Ephesians 4.18 says that the people who are unrepentant, here, here's what happens. They're darkened in their understanding and they're separated from a life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. There's an issue in life and they say, no, I deserve that. I've had a tough day. I can act this way to my spouse or I can do this or do that. Instead of going, Lord, I mourn my sin. Again, it isn't a downer thing. It's an upper thing. (laughs) It's great. We can be done with it. It keeps going. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. See, that's the, that's the problem with an unrepentant heart. It's not that God is just so upset he's going to smack you around. It's that he knows whatever you're doing outside of his will is just going to con- be a continual lust for more. It'll never satisfy. It never satisfies. And so we go before him and we look to him and we say, oh, God, I need you. And then then comes the satisfaction. I love this last one. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. (laughs) Paul, he's so cool. Anyway, obviously, I. Here we go. Last one. Unhumble. 
the unhumble. That's not a word, but everything started with un, and I didn't have another way to say pride with un. So unhumble is what it is, the unhumble. God looks for a humble heart. One of the ways, probably our biggest uh, source of heart disease is pride. Pride. We're constantly thinking about ourselves, constantly looking uh, after um, ourselves. My, my friend Don, he's got uh, two boys, and every night, it's awesome that I, it says don't use tobacco products uh, because they damage your heart. Every night, they pray, t- to them, smoking is the worst sin in the world. They pray, every, Lord, help people stop smoking, right? It's not, okay? <laughs> it's not, okay? Pride, if you were to try to, you can't really, there's no real list, okay? I'm just saying. But what they should be praying for is when they see someone be prideful, <gasps> oh no, don't do that. They see someone smoking, it's horrible. I see someone smoking, whatever. Pride, when I see pride in my own life, I pray that the alarms go off. Oh no, oh no. It's the worst. Listen to what uh, it says in Deuteronomy. The Lord's talking and he's saying, look, observe my commands and my decrees. Stay close to me because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to enter this land. You're gonna, everything's going to start going real well for you because you're blessed. You're blessed people. Your, your, your crops are going to grow up. You're going to get this great uh, community set up. It's going to be awesome. And then he says, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. Be very, very careful when things are going well. Because you'll start to go, oh yeah, I got it. I got it. I do it all the time. And then something goes, oh no, Lord, I need your help. Pride is a heart disease. In Hosea, it says, 13, 6, it says, as they had their pasture, they became, it's the exact fulfilling of what God was saying. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. Just like I told them. So we need to look in our own heart and say, is it, is it hardening in any of these ways? And there's, there's many, many more. But a- am I unbelieving? Do I still believe God can, can work miracles? Am I unteachable? Do I think I've got all my doctrine figured out? Am I unforgiving? Am I unhumble, <laughs> prideful? Am I unrepentant? Those are the things we need to look at. So the first thing the Mayo Clinic tells us, no tobacco products, things that directly hurt our heart. The second thing they say is get active. Get active. None of this is rocket science, by the way. We probably could have done this all ourselves, but this is what the Mayo Clinic says. Now watch what happens. In Timothy chapter 1, he says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there. And he says, and don't, it tells certain men not to teach false doctrines. Now, what happens is, and a lot of times in the church, is as we become sedentary, if we're not, that's why the first part of our, of our mission statement is reach. All, all of our mission statement is action. Reach, restore, respond. They're all action uh, uh, words. And the reason they're all action words is because God doesn't want us just to sit here amassing knowledge. He wants us to get active. When you sit and amass knowledge and it's just all, oh yeah, and I need to know this and that, it hurts our heart. 
When we're active, it exercises our heart. Because what happens? We enter into the world and we begin to use uh, these things that we've learned and and we begin to get strengthened. We get injured. We get uh, tired. All these things happen. And the Lord has to come in and say, this is what I want you to do. So uh, uh, Paul's telling Timothy, listen, don't tell these men not to be just sitting around doing this stuff. It says these promote controversies rather than God's work. Now we say, well, what's God's work? Here we are up here on this next slide. The goal of this command is love. Love is, is hard work. But that's our primary work of the church, is love, to love each other. It's not to build bigger buildings. It's not, do you guys know all this? It's to love each other. That's our primary work. Now look, look what it says. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now look what happens. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. Have you ever been talking and talking and talking about exercise? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start going to the gym. I'm going to start running. I'm going to start, yeah, I'm going to get an exercise bike. I'm going to get a treadmill. I'm going to, next Monday, I'm going to start working out. Right? You ever do that? I do that. Yeah, once my arm heals up, I'm going to hit the bench again. You know? I used to bench a lot, but then I got this thing in my hypothalamus, uh, you know. Right? Just talking, talking, talking. Don't you do that sometimes in your spiritual life? Just talking about what you're going to do for the Lord. Da, 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 da. Get active. And getting active is just loving each other. It's not a big thing. We have lots of ways to get active. One of the things, I just set you guys up for this one, are three to five-year-olds need people in there. It's just as much loving each other as, you know, having a small group. We're serving the next generation of believers. It's one Sunday a month. That's it. Everything's provided for you. Except the patience. You have to provide your own. Okay? That's it. That's all it is. Get active. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a, a pure heart. Meaningless talk. We do not want to be believers that have all our doctrine down and we haven't applied a bit of it. We want to apply it. Weight Watchers is, uh, is a pretty killer uh, institution. Uh, as I've been around people dieting, uh, one of the really successful ways, right? man, how did you lose that much weight? It's Weight Watchers. And what Weight Watchers does is they've, they've simplified everything into a point structure. But where it really helps is these meetings, these going to the meetings and getting, uh, good gracious. <laughs> that was... You all right? Somebody get somebody in here. Okay. Speaking of heart attacks, man. But you go to these, you go, <laughs> you go to these groups and you, and, you, and you help each other on and you weigh in and everybody claps and it's this, it's this great thing of encouragement. The Bible has a Weight Watchers verse. I, Weight Watchers should use this verse. All right? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love 
and good deeds. Let us figure out a way we can help each other stay active. So when you begin to see something in someone's life, hey, maybe you should do this. Ah, you know, my, this isn't working out. Maybe there's an action that can help you out there. Let us not give up meeting together, <laughs> as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That would be the weigh-in day for the Weight Watchers people. As you see those days approach, oh, I better stay on my stuff, right? Let us hold unswervingly to this hope we profess. That is a pure heart. And we consider how we can spur one another on to be active and not just sit around just talking about our faith. Yeah, I'm going to start memorizing verses. Great. Awesome. But let's figure out how we can love each other. That's the best thing. The other thing is to start out slow. (laughs) When you get active. So have you ever done that too? It's like, I'm going to work out Monday. And on Monday, you're just like, yeah, I don't care. I'm gonna. You're like t- teaching yourself a lesson for all the, this is our youth section, by the way. <laughs> teaching yourself a lesson for the five months you were off. And then when you get down, you can like barely pick up a glass of water. That isn't, that isn't the way the Lord has us living our spiritual life. We just begin this process of getting active and we, the Lord begins to breathe new life into our spiritual life. It doesn't have to be, all right, you're right, Pastor John. I'm going to lead a small group, work in the youth department, and you'll get burnt out. Just attend a small group or something like that. Thirdly, eat a heart-healthy diet. Eat a heart-healthy diet. That's the third thing we have to do to take care of our heart. Probably the best passage of Scripture of this idea of getting the right nutrients to our heart is found in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus talks about becoming part of the vine. And if you know anything about gardening or whatever, um, the, there's, a, there's a vine that supplies all the nutrients to the branches. That's how I, I had a, when we did a, one of the services on, on, on this uh, section of scripture, we were talking about just how it works that all these nutrients come up to these branches. The second you cut that branch off, it's no good. And so we need to ask ourselves, how are we nourished? In John chapter 15, verse 3, he says, you are already clean. That word is pure. I want us to get this down because uh, when we talk about act, uh, living an active lifestyle and getting rid of all this sin, Sometimes we get a little depressed that, oh man, I, I, I just can't do this. What Jesus is saying is, your Heavenly Father already sees you as clean, okay? But when we accept Christ, He has forgiven our sins. He's separated them as far as the east is from the west. Our sins are no more. But through that process, we're, that morning where we come uh, to God and we, we're poor in spirit, and then uh, we mourn, and then all of a sudden we say, oh, I want to live for you. I want your heart to replace my heart. Jesus here is saying, you're already clean. You have a relationship. Here's what it says. Remain in me. Let me be your source of life. Let me be the the one who provides what you need. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He says, I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Therefore, you can uh, bear, uh, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Our relationship with Jesus is everything. It's not a religion. We've talked about this a thousand times. 
We've got to get our nourishment from him. So that's why he says, take my yoke upon you because uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we continually going before him. And that, that was part of our fast yesterday was so that every time we felt hungry, we went, oh Lord, this is how I want to hunger for you. I, I, I want it so that right when, I, right when I'm detached from you, oh, I feel it and I want to be close to you. Right when something comes out of my mouth that's inappropriate, I want to go, oh man, Lord. Why? Because we're whipping ourselves? No, because that's how we get life, our life for us. It says that you will bear much fruit. In verse 8, it says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 1 Peter 2.1 says it this way, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, and like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk. Babies cry for usually three reasons. They, they're hungry, they're messy, uh, or they're tired, right? This is the same way we crave a relationship with God. We're hungry for him, and we long for him. We long for that attachment to him to go, oh, or we're messy, and we go, Lord, I just messed myself in a <laughs> spirit." just flew right out of there uh, <laughs> in a spiritual sense. I need to be cleaned up, right? It's a horrible word picture, but it really is a good one. It really is a good one. Or we're just tired. We're saying, Lord, I, I, I just, I need you. I need your peace. I need your presence. It's the same thing with, with us. Hebrews puts it a different way says, forget about the milk. He's given a different word picture. For a baby, all they can have is milk. So uh, Peter's giving this idea of, hey, go for God with, with all you have. Everything that he uh, has, the thing that you need, God's got. In, in Hebrews, it says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not equated with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. Eat a heart-healthy diet. Where are you in your spiritual life? Figure it out and go, man, Lord, what can I do to get nourished by you? How, what's the best way to get into your word? What's the best way I can learn? For some people, it's books. Other people, it's uh, uh, some other pastor's podcasts other than your own. That's great. Get on the internet. Listen to a whole bunch of different people. Fourthly, get regular health screenings. That's the Mayo's Clinic fourth one. Get regular health screenings. Psalm 26.2 says this, Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Test me. Have you ever gone in for a bunch of tests? One time I, I thought there was something wrong with my heart. And so I went in and they put all these things on me, and, which was cool, except if you have as much hair on your body as I do, <laughs> it's not the putting on that's the real problem. That's fine. It's the taking off, right? And so what they do, they, they, they put all these sensors on my heart and all these different things, and there was a little monitor there. And it just went, they printed it out. It's the same thing with God. Put sensors all over me and look at it and go, oh man, there might be a problem here. Regular health screenings. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to have a pure heart. Show me if there's any place in me that's going to cause me a spiritual cardiac arrest. 2 Corinthians 3.5 uh, says, examine yourselves. So not only do you, do you go to the doctor, go, you go to God, the great physician, and get an examination, you examine yourself. Oh, man, I didn't see that spot before. <laughs> hope that doesn't turn out. I, I just can't wait till you guys get home. You're like, oh, man, I hope I'm okay. 
We examine ourselves. And listen to what it says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. <laughs> I like what Paul says that. Yee, yikes. He says, test yourself. See, the thing is, guys, <clears throat> only God and us can test our heart. The world looks on the outside, and we have to make sure we don't get into that temptation. Because when I look at the outside, what the temptation is, is to look at the cup next to me and go, yep, I'm cleaner than that one. Cool. And then that cup goes, oh man, he's pretty clean. Ah, but I'm cleaner than that one. And soon, the lowest common denominator becomes what we're looking for. Who's the lowest so we can be better than them? God comes along and says, hey, here's the cleanest cup in the world. It's my son. Go get him. It's a little different. Jesus was going off on the Pharisees on these woes. He's telling woe to them. He says, woe to you teachers of the law, you hypocrites. In Matthew 23, 27, it says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Hypocrite is a Greek word. The Greek word literally means poser. You poser. That's a, that's a new, uh, new well, every time you see hypocrite, it's, it means poser. And it says this, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. We could sit for an hour and talk, and you could have no clue that my heart is totally full of hypocrisy, evil, and wickedness. There's no way you'll know. Hey, you might look at some of the fruit in my life and go, oh, no, he, yeah, he is a hypocrite. He said, you know, don't do this. And then I saw him at the store doing just that, you know, maybe. But if we're just talking, you don't know my heart. I don't know your heart. You know your heart. And God knows your heart. I'll give you a great example of a poser. I was at the gym and uh, Dave Toygo, if any of you know him here, he's a, a captain uh, of the fire department, and he gave me a, uh, a, a fireman's shirt that says Station 22 or whatever. So I'm at the gym, <coughs> bumping iron, and, uh, <laughs> and so this guy comes up to me, and he goes, hey, my, my nephew wants to be a fireman. I'm like, really? <laughs> I've got it all on there. It's awesome. By the way, it's awesome being a fireman, I'm telling you. You get all sorts of attention. So I'm wearing this shirt, and he says, yeah, my, 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 my nephew wants to be a fireman. How, you know, how does he do that? And I'm like, oh, uh, well, you know what? The best thing for you to do would be to visit their website. Uh, go, uh, and, and they said, well, what's the web address? I said, ah, just go on Google and type in uh, <clears throat> L.A. County Fire Department. It's all right there. You'll find everything you need, right? And so he's going on, and I'm going, man, this is, dude, get out of here, Okay. <laughs> I only have so much pose in me, right? And he's going deeper and deeper, and I'm just like, you know, Perry, Perry, you know, they're trying to, like, so, so I, I'm, I'm navigating my way through it, and then I'm starting to feel like, dude, I was just kidding around. I don't want this guy to all of a sudden go, you know, in person. I don't know, if, is that a crime? I don't know, but so he, uh, so he, we finally get done, and I'm like, oh, man, cool. And I made it. He thinks I'm a fireman, which is just totally cool right? And he's gone, <laughs> okay? Which was even better. 
Now, on the outside of my cup said, Fire Department, Station 22. On the inside, it said, Run from danger, (laughs) claustrophobic, fear of heights, right? Something's burning, right? That's the inside. Only I knew that. Until I got to the curling machine, he said, oh, one last question. Where are you stationed at, right? And I went, I'm a pastor in Garden Grove. And so then he went back to the the conversation. Did he ever lie to me? No, I guess he never did. So it worked out okay. I, I told him I was a pastor at the Crystal Cathedral, so it worked out great. It worked out great. I'm, I'm kidding. Here's my point, guys. Here's my point. <clears throat> In our Christian faith, sometimes even we get consumed looking on the outside. And again, that's, that's the world looks at that. It shouldn't matter who, again, I've said it before, who walks through those doors. Why? Because we're not responsible for their heart. We're responsible for ours. And if we're doing our job as a church, loving each other, all the rest just takes care of itself. We don't have to be. Isn't that, that is so freeing to me. That I don't have to portray myself in, in a way I'm not. All I have to do is keep examining, do those regular checkups. Church small groups is a great way to have those checkups where you can be around a smaller group uh, of people. And you can say, hey, do you guys see anything in me? I mean, I, I, I want to be pure before God. But ultimately, it's going to be our uh, openness to the Holy Spirit that does that. Where he says, you know what, John? You've been doing great. Here's the next level. And you go, oh, man, I didn't even see that. And we start our whole cycle again. It's a wonderful process, being connected to God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I don't know about you, but I want to see more and more and more of God in my life. The only way that's going to happen is for me not to display religiousness better or do things that people go, oh, great, or the church grows or whatever. It's going to be to examine my own heart with the Holy Spirit going, if you see any hurtful way in me, let me know. Create in me a clean heart. And Ezekiel talks about, God says, I'm going to take their heart of stone and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. We are in all. We are in all. We are in all.